You can't truly appreciate the top if you've never hit rock bottom. My name is Andrea, and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. And today, we are diving deep into the catalyst to pivotal personal transformation, hitting bottom. Unfortunately, it is through great pain that comes great change, or at least that has been my experience. I have yet to find the easier, softer way. Uh, as I think is the case for most of us. So that is why we need to flip our thinking to, fortunately, it is through great pain that comes great change. And today I am talking to Bonnie Chance. She is a life coach. I would consider her a bit of a spiritual guru. And she is going to be spitting gems of wisdom for our ears and our hearts to take in. But before that, Let's talk a little bit more about butts. And when I say butts, I mean bottoms. Uh, You guys, what do you think about that, though? Do you think that we could make that a thing? Hitting butt. (laughs) Hitting rock butt. Um, I think you all know how fucking weird I am. But if not, this is definitely the episode where you all unsubscribe. Uh, Now, you've heard about my many experiences of hitting rock butt, but let's talk about what a butt really is. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to stop, or at least I'm going to try to to reel this in. (sighs) So the sequence of recovery or healing usually begins with hitting a bottom and asking for help. And just as all butts come in all shapes and sizes, side note, have you noticed that that is another weird phrase that I tend to use a lot, all shapes and sizes. Apologies for all former and all future times that I will definitely use that phrase, all shapes and sizes. But bottoms, hitting bottoms comes in all shapes and sizes, meaning varying degrees of pain and varying degrees of repercussions. But regardless of what they look like, all bottoms require the same two ingredients, awareness and acceptance of our pain and suffering. Now, a problem cannot be solved unless we know that there is a problem. And as you know, I spent years in pain having no idea what the source of my pain was. And it wasn't until that aha moment with Brian number one that I was granted the gift of awareness. And unfortunately, many adult children are never granted this gift and they spend their lives in varying degrees of pain and suffering only to pass it along to the next generation. And so that's why we need to all be so fucking grateful if we have the awareness that we could possibly be suffering from the disease of family dysfunction, because not only does that mean that healing is possible for us, but that means that we also have the chance to break the cycle and have a positive impact on many generations to come. 
But awareness on its own does not ease our discomfort, right? Just like learning you have cancer doesn't make the cancer go away. Being aware that you're an adult child doesn't make anything get better. In fact, awareness typically makes things worse because we typically don't spring immediately into action. We typically choose to remain the same. And this newfound awareness regarding the root of our pain increases it tenfold. And this was me during my relationship with Brian number two. And it is only when we can transition from a place of awareness to acceptance that recovery can really occur. Now, acceptance is, in my opinion, the internalization that we cannot heal through reason or intellect. Acceptance involves a choice. That is when we choose to do something different rather than staying the same. Acceptance is when we no longer deny the fact that we cannot fix this on our own and that we need help. So this is when healing and recovery really becomes tangible for us. So I am going to stop talking for now. Let's go to my conversation with Bonnie I just want to say that there are a few times in the audio where it's not the greatest, but please bear with it because this is a solid conversation that you will benefit from. And as always, give me that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Thank you and love you all. Well, it is my pleasure to introduce Bonnie Chance. She is a women's empowerment coach. She's in LA. She has a master's in spiritual psychology. And she is a fellow sober lady. She is a fellow adult child, and she is here today to share her wisdom with us. So welcome, Bonnie. Hi. So good to see you here and to be with you all. I'm so happy to have you here. You know, I was looking back over on your website, on your story, and I just feel like there's so much to dive in here. So I want to read something from from your story. So it says, I've been dedicated to truth and helping others find it for themselves ever since I began my own personal recoveries. I first became sober from alcohol and drugs, which is a tremendous blessing and miracle for me that I never thought would be possible. So let's stop there. So tell me about your journey to sobriety. Yes. And first of all, I just want to say, I just am so honored to be on the podcast and I think it's so powerful, the title of it and, um, just so honored to be here because, you know, I qualify in, in, in many ways as an adult child. I know this path really intimately and I am grateful to you for bringing light into this and just even having that title you know, on the list of podcasts and it's, it's bringing the light of awareness, which for me is, um, you know, a very healing action. So I just acknowledge you and thank you. And, you know, and I, I stand here with, um, my fellow ACOA brothers and sisters, because this is material that I am still navigating. You know, I have by no means figured it all out. I had a coach early, a coaching call earlier today with my own coach, um, where I'm still unwinding from, you know, these past experiences I've had, 
and their impact on me today. It's never ending. There's always more layers of the onion. The layers of the onion continue. You know, I think the more that we can bring discussion to this and bring our hearts to it and to bring the eyes of love versus judgment, yeah. you know, that releases the guilt and the shame. And that for me is where healing really happens. And that like what you just read from my website, for me, that's, that's what I'm in the, in the game of is transformation. It's not to change ourselves from the place that we're broken, but it's to bring healing to ourselves and light from the perspective of let's empower ourselves. Let's lift ourselves. Let's actually love ourselves into new patterns Mm -hmm. that reflect that our true selves that reflect who we truly are versus behaviors that reflect our wounding and the parts of us that are still, you know, living in the past. My hope in creating this podcast is to not just inspire people to heal, but like to really inspire people to embrace, you know, our mess and our struggle and to use that in becoming the best versions of ourselves. Because I think as it says in like the ACA big book that we learn that our past becomes our greatest asset. So I, I truly feel that way. And, um, I'm so grateful for all of my pain and all of my shame. Um, cause it's brought me to this moment right here, right now. So, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Yes. And it's not linear. You know, I think um, you know, people come to me, you know, in, in terms of my service as a coach, you know, and there's, you know, a very goal line focus of, I want to heal this and be done with it and, and move on with my life, which I totally appreciate because yes, like let's get ourselves free and move on so we can have a more authentic experience of what our heart is really seeking in our life. And it's like, how are we with ourselves as we go through this journey? You know, healing in my experience is not linear. Mm-mm. So it's so important to, to bring the voice of compassion and self-acceptance to ourselves, to acknowledge this is a journey and to um, find strength in our stories mm-hmm. from a place of empowerment within. And, you know, as I said earlier, you know, I very much qualifying the sense of adult child. And it's still very much a journey where it's like, gosh, I still am feeling this shame coming up and uh, wanting it to be gone. Like the human part of me is like, okay, in this moment, how can I wrap, you know, my compassion around that part of myself, mm-hmm. um, which is so, so healing. Yeah. It's, it's the core. I think it's the core for all of us, the core wound. In yes. Absolutely. But I love that that is the intention of your podcast in terms of bringing uh, self-acceptance to our stories. Yeah. And just self-awareness. I mean, so many people have no fucking clue what it, you know, I would say the vast majority of adult children spend their lives oblivious to the fact that they're an adult child. Right. So this is something that needs to be discussed um, more. So I'm just, it's been amazing at how many messages I've received from people who just, you know, had no idea that they were an adult child until they stumbled upon the podcast. So it's been a really amazing experience. Yes, absolutely. And that's where my story is, you know, some other people might relate to it because it's a little bit different in the sense that, you know, I grew up in a household with very loving and well-intentioned parents, but who were children of alcoholics. So I very much identify as a grandchild, a granddaughter of alcoholics. And, you know, there's a term 
for that in the red book for adult children with alcoholics, that 12 step program, but they call it para-alcoholism mm-hmm. where the, essentially the grandparent passes on the untreated dysfunction and alcoholism through the parents. So even though they may not drink, they still have that stored dysfunction and fear. And that is then inherited by their children. Mm-hmm. And that is um, very, very much my story. And you know, I really learned at a young age, you know, self-neglect and that it was, you know, selfish to take care of myself, just a lot of really core codependent patterns. When did you learn that your parents were children of alcoholics? Not until much later, honestly, because alcoholism was really cloaked in a lot of secrecy in my family because both of my grandfathers were alcoholics. You know, on my dad's side, he was more of a daily drinker. And then on my mom's side, he was um, more of a binge drinker. So months, months would go by and everything would be fine, you know, um, and then he would go out for, for a bender, mm-hmm. which would create a lot of chaos. So, you know, my parents' strategy to that was, well, we won't, we won't drink mm-hmm. around our children and everything will be okay. And that can be um, very... Um, what's the, what's the word for it? Just such a misconception when you're younger, because you think you're in a good household, you know, but you don't realize to the extent to which you're actually taking on a lot of the alcoholic dysfunction. A real mind fuck. (laughs) Right. (laughs) There you go. And it wasn't until I actually came for, I shared years later about my own alcoholism with my parents and that, that was very hard for me to do at the time because I had a lot of shame that I also identify as an addict, an alcoholic, mm-hmm. and uh, drank um, very alcoholically for many years. So when I came forward about that in my sobriety, it came more to light about my grandparents' own drinking. Uh, before that, it was really cloaked in a lot of secrecy. You know, we didn't talk about alcohol or alcoholism growing up. So it was very much, you know, the idea that if we don't talk about it, then it's not a problem. Exactly. The don't talk rule. When did alcohol and drugs become an issue for you? How old were you? I didn't drink until I, I was 18. And uh-huh. part of that was, um, you know, the other parts of my household. So I talked about being, you know, a, a granddaughter of alcoholics and the, um, I can go a little bit more into that. That'd be helpful too. some of the issues that stemmed from stem from being an ACOA. Yeah. I think that it's important too. Cause you know, when I interviewed T and Dayton, she would talk about that. She's made a comment like calls them doesn't skip a generation. It just comes out in different forms. So, you know, I think it's important for people to hear um, examples of other types of dysfunctional families where substances weren't involved. So please. Yes. And the other part of this, um, for myself was growing up in a household where uh, my brother, um, he's now, he's now has a diagnosis of schizophrenia. And before, you know, that before that was a diagnosis of bipolarism that I grew up with a lot of instability with him growing up. He was really acting out. We didn't know why, but for me, it was a lot of um, volatility in terms of what I could expect every day. And was he going to lash out? And that way it was, it was, you know, he wasn't drinking, but it was very unstable. And, um, you know, for me, it was very volatile. So 
you know, and we learn these coping and adaptive mechanisms when we're really young and, you know, we're doing the very best that we can, but they are adaptive strategies so that we can survive basically in our, in our environment. You know, a lot of that for me in terms of that household was boundaries. You know, it's like, well, where do I end and where do you begin? Because throughout my whole childhood, you know, I was accustomed to kind of surveying my environment to see how someone else was that would determine how I felt. So that was a really big one for me. Lacking self-esteem, you know, like a lot of crippling self-doubt and fear of, you know, that anxiety attachment was formed really early, inheriting the anxiety of my parents, who, again, were so well-intentioned that we're walking around with all of this, with it being untreated. And my own coach, uh, Gabriella Taylor, does programs called Extraordinary Love. And, you know, a big part of her work is talking about how we grow as children into adults. But unless we do this work within ourselves, we're basically frozen in time as children inside of these adult bodies. And so that's where we can still act out emotionally in younger ways. We can respond with the same kind of panic responses as, as if we were younger. And it's really, in my experience, a process of education to, well, what's true for me today? You know, how can I act, not react? How can I um, have a different experience, even if this was my past? So that's, that's the, you know, those are the questions that I just love helping people with. But just to finish this, the last few parts of this for me was, you know, a huge opportunity for healing was unexpressed needs and Mm. um, just having so much shame about having needs. And this can swing to the other side for some people where it's overly expressing needs out of a fear that they won't be heard unless they're really vocalized and, and shouted from the rooftops. You know, on the other side of that for people like me is, you know, it's shameful to have needs. I don't matter. You know, it's selfish to ask for those things. Um, and then really developing a false persona that it's my job to rescue people and to clean up the mess. And I have spent a lifetime, you know, of um, being a, the caretaker and thinking somewhere deep inside that it is my job to take care of others you know, to fix my mom's depression, to fix my brother's mood. Um, and then later in life, you know, to fix things for my bosses, to fix things for my employers, to, you know, it's just, it goes on and on. And it's my friendships. And, um, you know, these are like very core patterns that, you know, have been a process of bringing the light of awareness around. Yeah. It's kind of interesting with that last part you know, and now in the, in the profession that you have, right. Like helping others. And it's like that balancing, I guess, what, how would you put words to that? You know what I mean? Cause it's like, yeah, we, you have this pattern of like rescuing and helping people. And then how do you balance that, um, to having, you know, a healthy profession where you are being of service to others? Yeah. Well, it's a great question. And that's why, you know, I just so believe in enlisting support for your past, you know, because we all have blind spots. We all need to be reminded of truth, you know, by someone who's an advocate, a loving advocate for what's most true about us. And so for me, you know, I've always been drawn to healers and practitioners. I've devoted so many, so many resources to, to all of this in my life, to people who have walked through the fire, 
And so because I intimately understand this journey, I do really love helping people with empowerment, empowering themselves and creating a new narrative and, and having new experiences that, that really bring out the joy. And I had to take a huge step back from all of this for quite a while in order to serve in the most clear and authentic way that I could. So I didn't have any aspirations for coaching. I really went to my graduate school to save my own soul. I was in the height of despair at that point in my life. I was still in my active addiction. You know, that process really transformed me. And I, I learned all of these it's just an amazing education on, on that completely changed my life. And from there, I felt very inspired to serve others. But I had to take a, a big step back and really prioritizing myself still first. Mm-hmm. And part of the principles I work with is take care of yourself first before you can take care of others. You know, so we serve from the overflow. So um, that has been a very intimate journey of mine. But I, I spent just years focusing on myself, my own healing work. And really unwinding from the patterns of over-responsibility because in my eyes, that is um, not the consciousness with which you want to serve other people. You know, you don't want to come from the perspective that they're broken or fixed or that there's anything wrong with them. That's that's not true. And it's your job as a um, professional this way for me is to help guide people through to another experience. And it's, it's, turning it over to a higher power also and the divine intelligence of life and that person's own uh, timeline, you know, which, which um, always needs to be respected and to really release from within myself the idea that I'm responsible um, for someone else. So that was absolutely fundamental in order to, to begin serving in the way that I have with people. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. But it's a great question. And it's something that continues to come up, right? Because I really love people and care about people. I always want the best for the clients that I serve. And it's, you know, it's um, always practicing that awareness of when these things come up within us mm-hmm. and tending to them within. Mm-hmm. Well, I like what you said there about, you know, we're all on our own timeline. Um you know, when I got sober, I had no idea that there was so much more ahead in my timeline that was going to come up. So, um, so do you want to talk about hitting your bottom related to, to your alcoholism? Yes. And, um, you know, a big, a big part of my path has been hitting multiple bottoms. Yes. Yes. And, uh, that's where I just have so much compassion for myself and for anyone who's tuning in right now, you know, for people to feel that they're not alone. And I thought for sure that hitting my alcoholic bottom was the hardest thing I'd ever gone through. Because that was very, very hard for me. I have a very strong physical allergy to alcohol. And the mental obsession was very strong for me too. And I just never thought it'd be possible to actually live a life as a sober woman. And I had so much guilt and shame around that because going back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, I took a vow to myself when I was very young that I would never pick up booze or drugs because I saw my brother start to experiment with that when he was younger and we were all in the same household together. And the impact on my parents was 
catastrophic. They were just crestfallen and heartbroken that their own son would reach for those things that they saw kill their parents. Mm -hmm. Uh, And both of my grandfathers died from alcoholism and both my parents watched that happen. So they were, you know, there's just a high level of trauma about that experience. And, you know, I just saw all this happen, you know, as this little girl with her eyes, you know, big wide eyes open and taking it all in. And just, you know, I never, just never thought I would become that. But lo and behold, that is part of my path. And I don't say that with blame because I also feel we, you know, we're each souls and we have a certain spiritual curriculum to work with. And part of mine is, um, you know, being an alcoholic and, (laughs) yeah, and really ending the legacy of abuse, to be honest, um, that has been in both of my family lines. Mm-hmm. But by the grace of God and uh, my spiritual work, you know, I did get sober. And that honestly um, was just the beginning. Mm-hmm. And you know, as you were reading on my website, and as I you know, share really openly, you know, I just, I hit so many bottoms, I didn't even know were possible. But and, um, <laughs> who is it? I think it's James Holman. He has a really good quote that says, now that you got sober, you get to deal with that wonderful personality that had you drinking in the first place. And that was very much my experience because then the next frontier for me was relationships. And I was in a very, very love addicted relationship for, for many years. Did you come into the program in that relationship or was that one that you got into when you were sober? I was, I was engaged with this person when, and I was still drinking and using uh-huh. and we did that together for a while. And then I started my spiritual studies and, you know, slowly started to break free from active substance abuse, but then was engaged with this person um, for a good, good handful of years after that. And, you know, in my experience as a, as a professional coach, there is the vehicle of relationship is for awakening. You know, there's no other container that's going to really accelerate your growth in that way because we are all mirrors of each other. You are no different than me. You know, we're all just reflecting back where we are inside of ourselves. But to actually practice that with someone newly sober was uh, very intense. And, you know, and, and part of it is, um, you know, as I was talking about my learning opportunities from growing up in the household that I did was just this um, archetype of the rest were so embedded within my psyche. Mm-hmm. And there's also so many unspoken messages that we absorb as children. You know, and, and studies show that our basic personality structure is kind of laid out by the time we're five. And our cognition is still developing up into our 20s. So there's what happens. And then there are also the unspoken messages that we receive. So... Yeah. I really, really believed that it was my job to save, you know, uh, my partner at the time and to help heal him. And that this was my responsibility. And, you know, I had also this message that love is pain um, because of the experiences with my brother. And again, that's where I just so believe in the spiritual work because that's not a conscious awareness I had, but in doing my work, the inner work within myself, it was revealed to me, ah, oh, at some point in this story of my life, 
you know, I believe that love is pain because that is what I experienced um, as a young girl growing up. So I was basically playing out that pattern, you know, in my various um, relationships and acceptance is the first law of spirit, you know? So once I became aware of that and started accepting it and looking at it, things really began to shift. But that was one of my main bottoms. Can you talk about what that was like to come into sobriety in, in that relationship? Because I'm sure that there's probably people listening who are newly sober um, and probably are in an unhealthy relationship and kind of like what that process of awareness looked like for you. And when did it become apparent to you that this was such an issue? Um, and I guess what was like the pivotal moment that you were finally able to break away? Yeah. Well, it reminds me of um, this 12 step program in AA first things. One of the slogans is yeah. first things first. Or take them as they kill you. <laughs> yeah. So it was really important to nurture and cultivate my sobriety yep. and to do whatever I needed to make that happen. And did you come into the rooms thinking that that was the problem? Were you convinced that, that just the alcohol was the problem? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And I thought, you know, and I, I didn't want to get sober either. That's a whole other topic, I guess. But, you know, I just wanted to learn how to manage my drinking and so I could just, you know, have six shots of vodka instead of 12 at night. Do you think that that's what AA was? Because I hear people say that they think that AA is to help you learn how to drink. <laughs> For me, AA was the end of the road. You know, yeah. I just thought <laughs> my life was completely over. So, and for anyone listening, that couldn't be further from the truth because by far what I was most afraid to admit that I was an alcoholic is what set me the most free. And I didn't force that. Like I, for years, didn't want to go to meetings, but was still going and I really didn't enjoy it. And it was very uh, resentful and um, depressed about it and sad and also very conflicted because I still kept drinking while going to meetings, which I do Mm -hmm. not recommend. But what's better than drinking and not going to meetings. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like something in that was still uplifting me because the energy of the meetings was, you know, it's at a higher vibration than the actual addiction. So that was slowly lifting me up. And like I said earlier, the first thought spirit is acceptance. So when I really surrendered to it and accepted, all right, I have this thing. Now what do I do every day to help myself? You know, that's when the grace came in and and um, by the grace of God, you know, I just continue on that path and the mental obsession to pick up is gone. How long were you in meetings before you got sober? I think it was about, it was almost two years. Wow. Year and a half before I was able to have, you know, stay abstinent and not get yeah. back to that. Wow. Yeah. But going back to your question, um, you know, that was the first order of business was to really take care of my alcoholism and what was most immediate. And then, you know, did, I think denial can be really strong for us as addicts. Um, and it kind of puts on our blinders and we see what we want to see. And the more that we are um, doing this inner work within ourselves, you know, things start to surface. And in my experience, uh, opportunities for healing surface when they're ready for healing. So it is a process. And I think that's one of the, one of the biggest keys that I, uh, that's in my heart to share right now with anyone who is tuning in is 
I wouldn't say a mistake, but something that has kind of held me back is using spirituality and awareness as kind of a weapon against myself. Mm. What I mean by that is seeing things like, oh, like this part of my personality is, is running the show here. I'm acting again like the rescuer and I, I don't want to be. You know, it's like versus going into judgment of that and self-criticism and collapsing onto myself. Like, oh, like when am I ever going to change? And when is this ever going to get better? And am I always going to be attracting addicts in my life? And, you know, that whole downward spiral, which can really take us down. It's like instead using awareness as a way to support ourselves and bringing some curiosity and lightness to it. I just can't say enough how much that shifts, shifts things and yes. how we are holding things inside of ourselves. So with this particular person, you know, I was still, the denial went on for quite a while. And then I was in this deep conflict for many years about whether to leave and whether to go, you know, to, to stay or to go and in a lot of therapy during that time and I think what really got me through was sticking to that inner work and having willingness to look at myself and having some little shred of faith even on the really hard days that I could get through it and certainly hitting the bottom I think is very powerful because when you emerge from that you emerge and you see yourself still moving on. So knowing that I had hit a bottom in that way, I had some sense of faith that I could get through something else. Um, but it's, it's certainly, you know, those moments I just have so much humility around and appreciation for, and my heart is with anyone um, who is going through that right now. I, I know that despair so intimately, and you just feel, feel so alone. Um, in those moments, you know, to be your own ad- loving advocate, to really turn towards yourself and say, you know what, we're scared, but we're going to get through this, you know, and to, to take your own hand and walk yourself through is very powerful. And we feel by our stories, which is why, again, I just love that you have those for the podcast um, so that people can hear other people's stories and gain strength and remembrance because that's also why I believe we're here. It's a journey of remembering of who we truly are. Mm-hmm. I love on your website as well. You said, um, you know, it was devastating to act out in such self-deprecating and harmful behavior when I had nobody to blame, but myself when alcohol and drugs were no longer in the picture, my real issues, the ones that had caused my substance abuse in the first place were beginning to surface. And that was the exact same feeling that I had just this um, you know, it's one thing to, you know, do a fourth step, a fourth and fifth step when it's like all the shit that you did while you were under the influence. Um, but I just had so much guilt and shame that I was not only was I acting that way sober, but that I was aware of the way that I was acting and I was sober and like, and still unable to do anything different. Um, but I love what you said about having compassion. Cause I remember my therapist. So I like my relationship with Brian number two ended and then we started seeing each other again. And this is while I was in therapy and it was like, I didn't know why I was still seeing him and I was beating myself up over that. And my therapist was just like, 
there's more of a lesson for you to learn here. Like, and it was so true. There was more of a lesson to learn. And so I was able to like, you know, have a little bit of self-compassion myself, like from her saying that. And eventually I was, I was able to, to walk away. So I think that that's such an important part that, you know, you shared when you were going through these issues. I mean, did you like hitting this bottom, this love addiction bottom at the time? Like, did you feel like you were unique, unique? Did you hear other women in AA and in the program talk about similar experiences or did you think that you were just super fucked up? Well, I thought I had issues uh, for <laughs> sure. And, and just to speak on what you're sharing, you know, those are, that's, those are really big moments when we realize, okay, the booze is gone. The substance is gone. This external uh, way I was using to check out is gone. And, and here I am with myself and, you know, it, it really does require just so much loving, so much compassion, and so much also personal responsibility mm-hmm. to look at our eyes in the own mirror and be like, okay, what is the mirror of life reflecting back to me? You know, and how have I, how have I myself promoted, allowed, accepted this current circumstance? And for me, you know, I'll share, I kept attracting emotionally unavailable men. I can't relate. <laughs> right? They'd want to sleep with me. Yeah, they'd want to go out with me, but I would get, you know, I don't really want to commit to you. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I don't want a future with you. Mm-hmm. They, they want to meet my parents. And it was very, very um, discouraging for me as a young woman and to see other, you know, my other, whatever you want to call them, uh, fellows and AA, you know, other uh, journeyers of sobriety. Yes. Having getting married, having kids. Yes. All that shit. Yeah. I know. Rule number one, yeah. never compare and despair. So we're yeah. each on our unique paths. And it was like, well, how am I bringing the eyes of self-honesty, which for me is an act of self-loving mm-hmm. is well, how am I accepting and promoting and creating this and seeing well, what is this person mirroring back to me? If, it, if this is all, you know, there's elements of projection here. Like what is this mirroring back? And really getting honest with myself about ways I was still unemotionally unavailable for myself. Mm-hmm. And that was showing up by a lot of self-doubt still, being very harsh with myself, a lot of self-judgment. And, um, you know, I'd have a feeling or intuition and I wouldn't trust it, you know. So there's a lot of mistrust going on behind the scenes within myself. And those were ways I was unemotionally unavailable to myself. I was, mm-hmm. you know, also chronically abandoning myself and my needs to take care of other people, especially men in my life and prioritizing their needs. And I'll tell you, I ended that relationship with this particular person. And then I had several other relationships after that, where I was still attracting mm-hmm. that dynamic. And again, I can't relate. I can't relate. Yeah. To say I was frustrated is an understatement. I mean, I'm, I'm smiling right now, uh, you know, for those of you who can't see me, but, but those were it was extraordinarily painful for me. Also, I was starting to develop myself as a coach and helping other people. So I was like, well, what in the world is going on? It's my own backyard. You know, I wanted uh, to be as clean as possible in order to be serving and integrity. Because for me, that's very important be practicing what I'm also helping others with. So again, were you, it was, were you oblivious? Cause for me, it was for my first seven years of my sobriety and all the relationship in those first seven years, I didn't have a fucking clue what was going on. Like, when did you start to have an inkling of what the problem was? 
I'm sorry to have a sense um, when I was still with relationship number one. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, again, it's like, I think we don't see things until we're, we're ready to be revealed to us. Mm-hmm. And when they're revealed, you know, that's where I was, again, such a, such a fan and proponent of the inner work because that's where things really begin to shift. And, you know, it takes what it takes. So I needed to have those additional experiences to really master the lesson so to speak. Um, but again, that's where bringing the voice of compassion to ourselves and self-acceptance. It's like we can't expect to get it from others if we don't have it from ourselves. And, and the willingness to even just to be open to that. Because especially as, you know, I, I primarily work with women. I've worked with some men too. But our voices of um, self-criticism can be so harsh. And we're so quick to be generous with others but so so strict with ourselves and you know our our tolerance is so low and we're so quick to judge and that environment um can make it harder to really flourish to really feel safe inside to have permission to have our lessons Mm -hmm. and to make that be okay so i i appreciate your path with all of this too, because it sounds like you have also walked this train of mm-hmm. walking yourself into a new experience, right? Yeah, it was miserable. You know, right? it, was, it was so painful. That's what I always tell girls. Like when I'm working with sponsees, I'm going to give you this advice. Like you're probably not going to take it. I didn't take it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, it, it just, I had to learn things the hard way I had to be in so much excruciating pain. And I, and I was thinking about that when you made the comment about the inner work, the, how the inner work is so important. The, the catch to that is that it often takes pain <laughs> for us to start doing the inner work too, you know? So it's kind of like this double-edged sword. It, it can, it can often pain is the, you know, the, the, the motivator mm-hmm. to reach for a spiritual tool or to reach for something else, you know, to hit a bottom and then and then to have that willingness. I do believe, and that can be an intention someone can set, you know, if they're listening right now, to ch- decide inside, I don't, I don't necessarily need to have to learn my lessons from pain. I, I can choose to learn through joy and to, to have that be the motivator. So I do think that's absolutely possible. In my own experience also, I've had a hit. You know, the bottoms, unfortunately, have been, you know, a big part of my story. And I just say unfortunately because they have been painful, but it, it does take what it takes. And that's the other thing I do want to say is my comfort zone personally, and I'm sure for many people who are tuning in who identify as addicts, recovering addicts, um, you know, adult children, alcoholics, our comfort zones are probably habituated to chronic self-neglect, to depletion, to frustration, and whether we're aware of that or not, that that's kind of what we've been allowing and permitting and are comfortable with. So the resistance to changing that is a natural part of the human growth and evolution. You know, if it was so easy to evolve, we would all be Gandhi tomorrow morning, <laughs> you know? So it's, it, it, again, it's bringing gentleness to ourselves and expecting that, that resistance and, mm. and, you know, an exercise someone can do is just looking at their life and it's like, given my current life right now, like what, 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 
what would I guess be my comfort zone? Like, what am I tolerating still in my life with my relationships, with my relationship to myself? And then knowing that we can shift into a different mm, experience and we can shift and we can shift through joy. We really can. And that's where I just love helping people access more of the joy. Cause for me, that's the ultimate awakener. It's um, part of our authentic self. It's who we truly are. And for me, that was a huge part of my story that, that I would like to share is that. Before you get there, I just want to ask you one thing. So did you, did you have a Brian number two? Like who was the last dude that really did it for you? Uh, I had an experience um, four or five years ago now where someone was, again, enjoying my company, but not really wanting the commitment. And I was watching this scenario unfold before my eyes again. And is that what they call it? Enjoying your company? <laughs> yeah. Right. And, you know, and I had my ideas of, well, how this is serving me also, but in my heart of hearts, I knew that's not what I was ultimately going for. And, you know, the, the growth for me was recognizing that after a few months versus a few years, you know? So it's like, once the light of awareness is, is there and we're willing to bring the eyes of self-honesty I think that is very empowering. And in my world, you know, you can't be a victim and an empowered leader at the same time. And I think that's really important, no matter what issue you're having. It's the, the willingness to see yourself, no matter what, as an empowered, as an empowered leader. And not a victim. Yes. Because it's so easy also to blame the external circumstance. It's like, well, how could this person do this? How could this happen to me? And in my experience, um, and I humbly submit this to anyone that's listening, you know, that perpetuates the story of disempowerment, but then at our own hands. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, like how can I empower myself through this experience? How can I use everything for my growth, learning, and upliftment? And, you know, for me, that's been a huge part of my background in spiritual psychology in terms of using life for learning and really taking a steadfast stance for being an empowered leader versus leaking our energy and our really our integrity into blame of others because that's only just disempowering ourselves and perpetuating the cycle of abuse really i would go so far as to say that 100 percent, and that's why it's so important and why i talk about so much in this podcast about how doing this work is not about blaming, you know, blaming our parents or whatever it is, because that blocks us from healing. And in a certain way, I almost feel like it's almost like how I view awareness, like versus acceptance. I mean, I think that we can have awareness, but still kind of be in denial and blame and be victims. But it's kind of like when we, the way I view it is like when we step into acceptance, there's almost like an accountability element of it. Absolutely. There's a quote I read somewhere about how when we walk in acceptance, we walk in spirit. Oh, that was my quote. That was my quote. No, I'm kidding. Oh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that was my quote. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. But that really opens the doors wide hmm. because then we start having choice. And yes, when we're in our active addictions, we may or may not be aware of choice. I certainly didn't think I had a choice when I was drinking bottles of vodka every day, nor did I think I had much of a choice when I was 
in a love addictive relationship for years, you know, showing up to that person's house and giving myself and listening and, you know, spending so much energy and not really being anything in return over and over and over again. Like there wasn't a lot of choice in that situation either, you know, nor when I was maxing out my credit cards, you know, thinking I needed to buy these things to feel okay. So it's like when we open the door to awareness and we start really coming into acceptance within ourselves, not in a mental way, like, okay, I accept this with the energy of resignation, but from a place of, okay, I'm willing to see that this is happening. This is part of my curriculum. I'm willing to bring the energy of acceptance to this. Like mm. That's where we can start enlisting the tool of choice to start having new experiences. And for me, that's where things really start getting exciting. And that's the transformation is going on that journey with yourself and having faith that you can shift. In your experience, what do you think it is? Like, what do you think happens in that moment when we're able to switch from awareness to acceptance and choice? Like what, what do you think's going on? Well, for me, there's an element of grace and I do have a relationship with a higher power for me. My relationship with God is most important in my life uh, today. Uh, for anyone who's struggled with that, you know, I really extend the invitation to make that relationship, whatever it is for you, something that you can believe in, believe in to be a power greater than yourself. Or maybe it's the divine intelligence of life, you know, what makes your body run a million systems without our control, you know, or what moves the ocean. But there is that spiritual dimension. And for me, it's an energy of grace that has the capacity to lift us, to help us, to bring us new awareness. It has the capacity to bring us new insights. So you know, we may go months or years without being able to see something clearly. And all of a sudden, there's an aha moment. And for me, that's why bridging the psychology with the spirituality is so important. I, I, I wouldn't be able to work personally without that in my own life and in my work with others because I have seen just how potent that is. And there's just an alchemical magic in that. So do you want to share about your kind of your journey or your life path as far as spirituality goes and how that's changed and developed over time? Yes. Well, that's, that's a whole other um, journey. That is, that is part of my healing. Absolutely. Um, what about, did you, I mean, I guess that we'll have to have you back probably. To, <laughs> there's so much to unpack there, part right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But were, did you, um, I guess like as a child, did you have a belief in a higher power or God? I really did not. And my parents would bring us to church, but it was, it was always a really awkward experience for me. I always felt really disconnected. And if anything, it kind of fortified my disconnections. I saw people faithfully praying and singing, and I just felt completely um, separate mm -hmm. from that. I remember even at Sunday school once, I had my finger on the floor, and a woman uh, stepped on me with her high heel and it punctured my finger. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, this is perfect. Like it's painful to be here. And now it's physically painful. <laughs> you know, I just, I just, it just wasn't my place. Yeah. And when I was drinking, um, you know, I would pray for my hangovers to stop. I would sometimes throw out some perishable world peace. Um, but I, 
because I, you know, I knew that I wanted to help and make the world a better place, but I just felt so disconnected that there was actually a divine intelligence to life, a loving energy that did care about me and my well-being. And, you know, that, that was part of the pain, my separation, I think, and, and drinking for so many years. But it's been a huge part of my sobriety. It's been a huge part of my awakening and my continued journey on my on my healing path, and I find a spiritual connection to be uh, very fortifying, and I don't see it as something outside of myself. I mean, either, you know, God is outside and inside of myself, so there is both elements to that, and really surrendering to something bigger than myself has been um, transformational. You know, for me, um, in starting this podcast, there were, uh, a series of, of synchronicities and spiritual experiences that made this very clear that this is what I was supposed to be doing. So I'm curious if you have any, I would imagine that something similar happened with you and you choosing to have this as your vocation. Can you share about, I don't know if there was any pivotal aha moments or spiritual moments that you had that you know, solidified this for you, that this was the path that you wanted to go down? Yes. Well, uh, again, that's a really great topic. I, we have talked so much about that. Well, we'll have you back. I mean, there's so much we can fucking talk about. So yeah, so much. You can be regular. Like, like yeah, yeah, well, that's great. Let's in the rotation. Yeah. And, and our call in our callings, um, you know, but I like to break that down more into inner promptings because I notice people can put a lot of pressure around having a calling in their life or having their vocation match their avocation. And hmm. maybe that's not, not necessarily meant to be the hmm. same thing. And Elizabeth Gilbert, you know, in big, in big magic, she talks about this. Like, I don't think it was even until after the success of Eat, Pray, Love that she then stopped having um another day job like she was very reticent to really attach her income to her writing for a very long time she wanted to have her calling of writing and her expression in that way did not have any pressures around it for me i had a very strong calling to serve and to help others for for a long time it's hard for me to even trace that back but um once i got sober and I, you know, I, I received this um, graduate education from this school that specializes in spiritual psychology. And I could see that, you know, our stories really do inform our strength. And there started to be more of a willingness on my part to see, okay, maybe I didn't just get dealt a shitty hand and my life is going to suck and, you know, um, nothing's ever going to change. I started to see, well, maybe there's a greater purpose in all this and maybe there's a way I can start helping others. And certainly sponsoring was a big part of that too. Like seeing how my um, shadows and trials and struggles really helped other women to know they weren't alone and to know healing was possible. And from those experiences, I really became interested in the art and science of, of healing and how can we live most optimally? Um, but even even beyond that, 
you know, I think in order to have the world that we really seek, like more peace, like we have to start with ourselves. I always wanted to help folks save the world, but I was drinking alcoholically in an absolute nightmare. Um, so I don't say it with judgment. It's just I was really checked out and unavailable. So it was such a profound lesson for me that, okay, before I think I need to do all these other things, like let's let's start with myself and how can I save myself? And yeah, it really goes back to me, honestly, for the alcoholic household, because I didn't want to focus on myself. I found therapy to be torturous at first because with my personality that was orbiting around self-neglect and my needs don't matter. I was like, I don't want to go to therapy and talk about myself for an hour. And I don't, it's very selfish, I thought, to invest money in my spiritual work. You know, I thought that's selfish. I really had a lot built inside of me around these very old ideas that have been passed down by generations, you know, through my through my family. And I think a lot of us have inherited those. And I think there's a huge awakening that's happening right now in terms of, um, you know, self-care, self-awareness, and self-care not being just bubble bath on Sunday night, but really taking a loving stand for ourselves, for what we want in our lives, for healing. And again, I just, it's not from the perspective that we're broken because I have certainly bought into that idea many times. There's something inherently wrong with me. Good things aren't going to be happening for me. This is unhealable. And for anyone listening, just for them to really know that no matter what we've gone through, there is healing that's possible. There is, there are new possibilities that you can live into. And if you can see it in your heart, then it is possible. And to take a loving stand, to nurture those visions and to nurture what's within you and to nurture your path of healing. I just can't think of a more empowering way to in the abuse, you know, on our own hands. And, you know, I think oh, there was a, a recent study that said, this is a few years ago, but it said 20% of our happiness is based on external conditions. So that means 80% is how we perceive things inside of ourselves. And for me, I find that to be very empowering because we still live in a society that conditions us to look outside of ourselves for external sources of our happiness. And we have a lot of power. If we look at ourselves as empowered leaders and how we're perceiving the story, how we're perceiving what happens to us, how we're perceiving how we're working with it, and really in those quiet moments when it's just you and you and no one's at home, how are you speaking with yourself? How are you relating to yourself? And if we can really shift that narrative to a loving narrative, um, for me, that's, that is success. That is the definition of success. That's what's going to change the world. That's what's going to bring to us all of our dreams and more. What about, um, do you have any tangible tools or actions that that someone could use for, for someone who perhaps is, um, is, is struggling and is in that place of awareness, but still is choosing to act the same way. 
Do you have any spiritual tools that you could recommend someone use if they're currently in that space as far as like how to cultivate more self-compassion? Yes. Well, I think a big part is bringing the eyes of acceptance to yourself to exactly where you are right now. So, so say you just committed to not overspending and you just bought a code at Neiman Marcus that you really couldn't afford, or say you're, um, said you never, you know, see this guy or girl again and you, a lover's kiss with them. It's like bringing your, your hands to your heart and just breathing into exactly where you are right now. And it's like, okay, this, this is, this is happening. This is where I am right now. And it's okay. And telling yourself, you know, I'm going to love myself no matter what. I'm going to love you no matter what. And bringing that voice of acceptance to exactly where you are right now. And, you know, if you're not in a chronic addiction or acting out right now, then bringing it to any circumstance that you have. Another powerful tool is, you know, this is part of my program at University of Santa Monica where where I learned um, through spiritual psychology, but the art of compassionate self-forgiveness. So, you know, say you had an argument with someone or, and lashed out at them or you did something that you're judging yourself for. It's like, I forgive myself for judging myself. As angry, I forgive myself for judging myself as unhealable or whatever that forgiveness is. That's one of the most powerful tools that I know of too and that I use every day to just keep keeping my inner environment clear and to unleash the um, judgments because those really, they keep us in cycles of guilt and shame. And then we just act out again in ways that then bring on more guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. And we really want, it's like doing these kinds of practices, stop that. You know, it's like, okay, the, that kind of treatment stops here. Like, not on my watch. Am I going to allow that? And it happens to let that be okay. But so much of this, I really see how we can use these different things as tools against ourselves. And it's like, that's not what this is about. And I would also think having support, like enlisting someone who can be your loyal advocate, who will take an unwavering stand for you. That's certainly been something that I've, I've always had in my life ever since I began this. And I think it's, it's just very powerful because we all have our blind spots. We all have areas where it's harder to see ourselves clearly. So having someone in our corner who is able to meet us there, take our hand and walk us through to the other side, you know, I think um, there's just so much value in that too. Do you want to talk a little bit about the kind of services that you offer or the coaching that you do or what's available for people? Yes. Yeah, so I work primarily one-on-one with individuals uh, doing doing coaching. So there's more about my services on my website. It's bonniechancecoaching.com. There's no I in Bonnie. So B-O-N-N-E, Chance Coaching. And I also do online groups so people could add themselves to the email list there we'd like to be added and i also actually have right now on my website uh, a free resource if people would like about three ways to clear fear so that's available for anyone listening uh just some powerful ways to 
appear here so that you can actually enjoy the magnificence, magnificent presence of your being to have a new experience. Because in my experience, fear is really what can hold us back too. So that's also available. I also actually officiate weddings and mm. work with couples in that way because I'm an ordained minister. So that's really something that I deeply enjoy too. That's amazing. Well, I will include all of that shit in the show notes and we will definitely have, we'll talk soon. There's a lot to unpack with you. Yes, yeah, so thank you. Thank you so much yeah. for having me on today. Stop. 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 Well, that wraps up today's episode. As always, I hope you heard something that could help you on your own journey. And as always, if you didn't, what the hell is your problem? Thanks again to Bonnie. That was great. Check out the show notes for ways to get into touch with her, as well as links to my social media. I am at Adult Child Pod on Instagram and TikTok. So, There's a small chance that I might take off next week. I'm debating it. I probably will still have an episode for you guys um, because I'm codependent. (laughs) But there is a small chance that I might skip. Um, But regardless, I will see you for the next episode of Adult Child. It's going to be super raw. It's going to be super vulnerable. And I am super excited for y'all to hear it. It's going to be a goodie. I promise. Don't let it all go